Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. I just wanted to make sure, in case anyone was worried that any of our campus pastors uh, came to a bit of grief or if any, I bet you some of you are more concerned that that was actually my boat. And I, uh, I can assure you uh, that it's not my boat, but it was a very nice boat. In, in fact, that's uh, my dream boat. You see, in my dreams, I do have a boat like that and a wife like that. Thank- thankfully, thankfully, my dreams came true with my wife, and uh, that is my real wife. She's, uh, she's not bad, and... Uh, she actually, I'll let you in a little secret, just, uh, just when the two of us are talking, she, uh, she calls me her dream boat. <laughs> she, she, she says it's actually a dream being married to me every day. What, what I would like you to do right now is just dream with me for a moment. I, I actually like everyone to close your eyes. Don't fall asleep, but uh, close your eyes. Uh, I want you to dream that you do have a boat like that. You're on that boat. Probably best to put your own wife or your own husband in the dream. Don't dream about anyone else's wife or anyone else's husband in church. It's not a good thing to do. But just dream. You're on your dream boat and you're married to your dream boat of a husband or a wife. But just keep your eyes closed for a minute. In the dream, it actually starts to turn into a nightmare. Because while you're safe on the boat and you're enjoying life on your boat, you do actually see someone drowning in the water in front of you and they're unable to save themselves. Just keep your eyes closed. What are some of the emotions that you start to feel in your heart? What are you starting to feel as you see that? And what is it that you begin to do in your dream? Keep your eyes closed. I want you to imagine that you're a responsible boat owner and you actually have something in your possession, in your hand, that has the power to save them. You just need to give it to them and they'll be saved. Just keep your eyes closed. In your dream... Would you give them what you have in your hand that has the power to save them? Just just keep your eyes closed, but put your hand up if in your dream you would give the drowning person what you had in your hand to save them and you would give it to them as quickly as you possibly could. Just put your hand up. Of course you would. You can open your eyes. Of course you would. Of course you would. If you saw someone drowning in front of you and they couldn't save themselves and you were safe and you had something in your possession, you had something in your hand that you could give to them and they'd be saved, of course you would. 
You wouldn't just do that in your dream. And I hope you, you know, never face this in reality, but I'm confident that if this was a reality, you'd do exactly the same thing. If you saw someone drowning while you were safe, they couldn't save themselves, and you had something in your hand that could save them, you'd give it to them. In fact, if you didn't give it to them, it'd be illogical. It'd be, there's worse words you could use, but it'd be uncaring. It'd be an absolute waste. I mean, why would you carry around with you, you know, something that the sole purpose is to see people's lives saved if you didn't give it to them? Be a complete waste. And, and quite frankly, it'd be selfish. It would be selfish. If you were safe, you had something in your hand that you could give to someone who needed saving and they couldn't save themselves, it would be selfish to hold on to it for yourself and not share it with others. I'm confident if you're in that, that situation, that person that was drowning would become your top priority. Other things would be put aside for a time because someone's life is at stake. They'd become your top priority. I'm confident that you would share whatever resources you have, whatever power you have in your hand, whatever it is that you could give them that would see them safe, you would share it with them and you'd do it urgently. You wouldn't wait, you wouldn't hold back, you would do it urgently. You would. You know, I really do believe that this year at, at Gateway, that the word that God has put in our heart as a board of elders and as a leadership team is just a simple word, salvation. That, that God wants to bring salvation to, to people's lives. That, that people would put you know, their faith in the saving power of Jesus across all of our campuses this year. And I hope that God is actually building faith in your heart that he can use you to do it, that, that you can actually share what he's put in your heart and what he's put in your hand to see salvation come to the people that you live, work and laugh with. Because God has, I want to assure you, I know this for absolute fact, God has put something in your heart and he has put something in your hand that can actually see people saved. Now, God is a God who saves. Do you believe that? Come on, just put your hand up again if you believe that this morning. Now, God is a God who saves. Right throughout history, he's been saving people from the power and the consequences of sin. When Israel were trapped in slavery, and we're going to be reading through the book of Exodus over the next 10 weeks, so you know, make sure you, uh, you just hang in there and read through. We're going to celebrating the, the joy of salvation that we have in Jesus as we read the book of Exodus. But when Israel at one time in history, were trapped in slavery in Egypt and, and, and Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. He didn't want to let his workforce go. You know, God saved his people. Firstly, by as they smeared the blood of a lamb over the cross on their homes, the angel of death passed over 
And they were saved. And finally, Pharaoh wakes up to himself as death just comes uh, across the whole nation and he decides to let Israel go. But he does, they don't get very far and he changes his mind because he just realizes he's lost his whole workforce. And, and so Israel are trapped. They've gotten to the Red Sea and they're camped right on the Red Sea. And behind them is the army of Egypt, you know, wanting to kill them. And, and so if they turn back... They're going to be killed by the Egyptian army. If they go forward, they're going to drown. They haven't gone to swimming lessons while they've been trapped as slaves in Egypt for the last 400 years. And God shows up again and says to Moses, I've put something in your hand. And it was a staff. And he says, this thing I've put in your hand, I want you to raise it over the sea and I'll give you power to save this nation. And so Moses takes what's in his hand and he raises it over the sea and miraculously, you know, the waters of the Red Sea part and the whole nation of Israel walk across onto dry ground and they are saved from death because Moses used the power that God had put in his hand. When they get across onto dry ground... Moses and Miriam, who at this point don't know that much about God, and nor do the rest of the nation of Israel. They write the first worship song that's recorded in the Bible. And it's an incredible song. It's their story of salvation. It's quite unique to them. But in verse 2, part of this song that they sing as God has saved them, it says, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. We haven't known the saving power of God in the past, but right now we have. We've seen it. He's become my salvation. And you see, my prayer for, for this year is that many of us will get to stand in that baptistry with the people that you live, work and laugh with who, they, who declare their own story of salvation and say, I didn't know the saving power of Jesus in the past, but I've become, I've got to know him and the Lord has become my salvation. I, I hope there's some of you want to be part of, of seeing that happen. You see, our God is a God who saves. And the good news of Jesus is that he didn't just come at one point in history to save one nation from slavery at one time through the blood of a lamb and the parting of waters. But in, in Jesus, the very Son of God came to earth and he was crucified on a cross. He was the Lamb of God to save the whole world. He was nailed to a cross and his blood was shed, as we've sung about already, so that we could be washed white as snow, our sins could be forgiven, and where our sins once got in the way of having a relationship with the Holy God, they were washed away, washed white as snow through what Jesus did on the cross for us by shedding his blood. And you see, the good news of, of Jesus is it's for all humanity. It's for every person, every skin color, every age, every nation. He did it once and for all for everyone. Everyone who would put their faith in Jesus will be saved. 
See, our God is a God who saves. And our nation desperately needs saving. Our nation desperately needs saving. You know, we can't save ourselves from sin. You've only got to look around and see that, you know, our communities aren't getting better through self-improvement. You know, families getting ripped apart by, by selfishness. Domestic violence can, continues to destroy people's lives. Substance abuse is ruining lives. You know, loneliness is becoming epidemic. You know, anxiety is on the rise. You know, our, our communities simply aren't getting better by self-improvement. Our community, our nation desperately needs saving, desperately needs the saving power of Jesus to come into people's lives and to make us whole, to reconcile us with the Father. That's the only place that broken people can be made fully whole. That's why. It's why we are planting campuses with great kids and youth ministries. Because young people are growing up confused. They are drowning in a sea of hopelessness. They're living with anxiety and with fear. And they've got no concept that there's a God in heaven who actually knows them, holds them in his hands, loves them, and has an eternal plan for their lives. It's why we're planning campuses, every campus with a great care centre that, that reaches out to people in need in communities because there's people drowning in loneliness in our communities more than ever. Where they once used to turn to a family network to, to find help and to find hope, those family networks have broken down and they find themselves alone. And so we're planning care centres in every campus so that when people have got nowhere to turn, they can actually find a church family who cares for them, who loves them, and who actually believes that God has hope for them and will heal them one day at a time. That's why we're planting campuses with, uh, with great worship and, and powerful teaching that's relevant for people's lives because there are people out there that, that are drowning in a sea of selfishness and they don't even know it. They don't even know why families are getting ripped apart. They, they don't even want, know why. Marriage isn't working. They don't know why they don't feel any sense of purpose or satisfaction in life. And they won't know that they're a sinner that needs saving until they hear the good news of Jesus. You see, our God is a God who saves and our nation right now, in this generation, it needs saving. And God has put, he has put something powerful in our hearts and in our hands to see people that are drowning in sin saved. The question is, this is a question for all of us and I hope we get to the end of this moment this morning and say yes. The question is, will we share what God's put in our hearts and will we share what God's put in our hands to see people saved. Firstly, prayer is something powerful that God has put in our hearts to see people saved. I hope you believe that prayer is powerful. In fact, your prayer life will tell you how powerful you think prayer is. 
Let me just read. Some people think, oh, you know, I don't pray too good. I haven't got fancy words. I don't know all the spiritual language. You know, I don't know how to pray the right way. Have a listen to the way God answers prayers in the book Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, as I said, we're going to be reading through it over the next 10 weeks, so you better find where it is now. It's right near the start of the Bible, and uh, kind of sit there for the next uh, 10 weeks. Exodus chapter 2, and it says, The Israelites groaned. Everyone just groaned for a minute? Lovely, lovely. The Israelites groaned in their slavery. This is how they prayed. They groaned and they cried out for help. They cried out for help to God. They groaned and they cried out for help. This is what happens in chapter 3. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Even though In context, we see they don't know too much about who God is at this point. They really don't. They don't have a whole bunch of super spiritual words to say. All they know how to do is to groan and to cry out. That's all their prayer is really about. But they're getting desperate and God hears their prayer. I love the response in chapter 3. God sees it. He hears it. He cares about it. And he sends power from heaven to earth to save them. That's what happens when we pray. God sees it. God hears it. God cares about it. And God moves power from heaven to earth to see people saved. It tells us, it reveals to us something about the heart of God. You see, the way God answers prayer reveals something about what's important to God. But the way we pray and what we pray about what we groan and cry about actually reveals to us what's really important to us. I want to ask you this morning, what have you been groaning about lately? I don't want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I know what you've been groaning about. What have you been groaning about? I'm serious. What have you been groaning about? I'll tell you what I've been groaning about and I... A little wake-up call for me a couple of weeks ago. I'd actually been reading this passage. I got to the end of the day and I groaned. I was, I was leaving here and I got a text message. Can you pick up some things from Woolies on the way home? And so on the way home, I sort of pulled off my normal uh, you know, route home. So I had to go a little bit out of my way. I got into the car park. I got out of the car, locked everything up. I navigated the car park. They're crazy places, car parks at shopping centers. And I, uh, I navigated the car park in through the doors, walked past a whole bunch of shops. And I got in the doorway to Woolies and I groaned. I let out an audible groan. People around me are looking, what is wrong with this weirdo? You know, I, I, I groaned. And to be honest, you know, if I wasn't, you know, worried about my reputation and if someone from church might see me and someone from people from church work there, so, you know, I was a little bit worried about what I did next. But I re- what I really wanted to do, I really wanted to pick up that Woolies handbasket and drop kick it through the dairy section. I was having a hissy fit. I, I, was, I was peeved. I was groaning. Do you know why? 
Do you know why I was groaning? And it was the first real groan I'd let out that day. It was, it was the thing that I seemingly cared about the most that day. I got the most emotional about that day. Do you know why I groaned? I forgot my reusable shopping bag for the 357th time. Anybody else done that? Isn't it annoying? Did you groan? I had a choice standing there on my way into Woolies. See, see, what we groan about tells us what is important to us. Money. 15 cents. I had a choice. I could either go into Woolies and waste another 15 cents or I could walk the 250 metres back to my car and pick up one of the 700 bags I already had in the boot. I must have been in a rush that day because I decided to pay the, for the 15 cents. But, you know, when I, when I used to go to Woolies, you know, I'd, I'd put, you know, six items in seven different bags. I thought, if I'm going in here and I'm paying another 15 cents, I'm getting 47 items in one bag. Someday, if this keeps happening, someday in the next couple of weeks, you'll see me with a little stall outside Woolies and a big pile of these and just selling them for 10 cents. I just want to, I, I want to recoup my losses. Big sign, only ever used once. Great condition. You know, I... Got to the end of a day, I'd actually been reading about the fact that God really cares about people that are suffering in their sin. He hears people's groans, hears what's really important to them. The thing that I'd groaned most about that day was I had to waste another 15 cents. What have you been groaning about? Right, right now, what's really important to you? Yeah, you know, that day I probably drove past hundreds of people, thousands maybe, who are going to a Christless eternity. And I'm not saying we've got to walk around all day groaning, but, but I do wonder, I do wonder if God's got to do something in our heart that we actually start to care about what really matters to him. And what really matters to God is that lost people are spending an eternity without him. What really matters to God is that people are drowning in their sin and their suffering. And he hears our groans. He doesn't need fancy words. He just needs to hear our heart poured out the things that break his heart break our heart and that we would get on our knees and groan and we would pray you know the bible says in romans chapter 8 that even if you've only got a groan to pray even if you don't know what to pray but there's just a groan before god of what's you know what's really on your heart it says the holy spirit intercedes for us on our behalf he makes sense of it because he knows what's going on in our heart 
There's an old word that we don't use very much anymore, but I actually believe it's something of what God wants to do in our heart as a church this year. It's a word called travailing. I just wonder whether this year is a year where it's time to travail in prayer, to get on our knees, to get on our faces and to pray and to groan and to cry out until we see people saved from their sin. Can I hear a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of an amen? It's something that God's put in our hearts that can see people saved. It's powerful, moves power from heaven to earth. When you pray, God sees, he hears, he cares, and he moves power. So there's a few things we're going to do. I want to encourage you to pray on your own, pray in your life group. Just a couple of things we're going to do together. Firstly, just every Tuesday night at 6 o'clock in every campus at the same time, every week, we're going to pray for salvation to come to our community. And there might be some groaning and some crying out. We're just going to do it every week. In a disciplined way. I don't care if six people turn up on Tuesday. I'll just be praying that eight will turn up the week after. But we're just going to start to pray for salvation to come in our communities. We're going to establish a freedom prayer ministry that actually started last year. It's going to have representatives in every campus now so that people who are enslaved by sin can find freedom from uh, what has them trapped right now. I'm going to talk more about that next week, so I'll just sort of skip over that a bit today. And at the end of every term, we're going to have these Sila prayer nights, just nights to pause and just hang out with God, listen to God, let Him speak to us, let Him put His heart in our heart and see what God does. We're going to do that multi-campus here at Mackenzie together the last Tuesday night uh, of every term. Love you to be part of praying for salvation to come because prayer is powerful to see people saved. And the gospel, the story of salvation is powerful to see people saved. They need to hear it. They need to receive it. We can all pray and we can all share the story of salvation. Although some of you think you can't. Verse 10 of that passage I read before, God says to Moses, is it going to come up on the screen for me there, Mel? Okay, I just want you to look at that third word. So now, let me try it again. So now, go, simple word. I am sending, harder to do, but simple word. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, obviously, that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to go and to, uh, uh, to bring a nation out of slavery in Egypt. But we are called to go and to make disciples of all nations. Similar call, same word, go. Go and do it. And there are people here who for a short time and some for a long time have gone to other nations and shared the good news about Jesus and have seen people saved and uh, it's such an important part of who we are as a church, such a privilege to lead a church that is having an impact around the world. There's just a couple, few of them scattered around here this morning. I'm going to uh, just get them to stand because uh, they're some of my heroes of the faith and I just love how God is using them to bring the sal bring salvation of Jesus to nations around the world. Come on, just stand up if your predominant ministry in some way through Gateway Beyond is uh, around the world. Come on, just stand. There's a few more 
more of you that are here in this service. Put your hands together for these guys. Thank you. Thank you. These guys are doing an incredible job. Such a privilege to support them uh, through Gateway Beyond, to pray for them. And uh, we'll continue to do that this year. Okay, this is what's really important for you to grab hold of right now, though. If you weren't standing and you've got faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you're sent to this nation, every one of us. See, if we haven't called the, heard the call to go to another nation, then we're called to go to this nation, to the people that you live, work, and laugh with. This is for all of us. Some of us, like Moses, come up with some excuses. Mo Moses says, who am I to go? Who am I? And maybe you said the same thing in the past. Who am I to go? I haven't got the right words to say. You know, I don't know. I'm not very good at speaking to people. I don't know how, you know, to defend my faith very well. You know, a whole bunch of things. You've come up with a whole bunch of things like Moses says, who am I to go? Two key things God says here. I want us to grab hold of them this morning. Because it's the same things he says to Moses he actually says to us, same principle, slightly different way of going about it, but same thing. When Moses says, who am I to go? I, I can't do this. God says to Moses, you don't need any fancy degrees. You, you don't need any funny big qualifications. All you need to know is, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. That's what matters. When we're told to go and make disciples of all nations, to teach and, and, and to baptize, teach people to obey, God says the same thing. It's actually a better experience because we now have the Holy Spirit living within us. He says, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And then he says to Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And Moses says, well, I'm a shepherd. I've got a stick. And God says, I'm going to put power in that stick. It's going to do some really cool tricks. You're going to throw it on the ground. It's going to turn into a snake. You're going to hold it up over, uh, over uh, a sea of water and you're going to part water and people will be saved from drowning. You're going to hit rocks and water will come out. He put something in his hand that had incredible power to save. Now, I know I've had a good look around this morning. I don't see any shepherds in the room. No one walked in with a staff. Just put your hand up if you do have a staff. I didn't see it. Okay, no one's... Oh, there is kind of a... Oh, oh! Okay. Yeah, that's pretty... That's not bad. I didn't think... I forgot about that. Can it turn into a snake? Okay, most of us don't have a staff. But God has put something in our heart and in our hands, when we use them together, they do do some pretty cool tricks, and they can be used powerfully to save. Tell me, what if you're going to reach into your pocket or into your bag right now, what are you most likely to pull out and put in your hand? Come on, just do it right now. In your pocket or in your bag, what are you most likely to pull out? Just pull it out and show me. Phone. Come on, come on, hold them up so I can see. We've all got them. does some pretty cool tricks. This is what I encourage everyone to do this year. 
I encourage you to share your story of salvation, your unique story. Record it on your phone. Share it online. Share it with your life group. Share it with your church family with permission. Get your story of salvation out there. Because I tell you, your story of salvation has power to point people to Jesus. And Jesus is the power to save. Tell you some good news for those of you who don't think you know how to argue your faith all that well. Right now, McCrindle Research says, in Australia, the thing that is most attractive for unbelievers to want to explore Christianity is not someone who's got all the answers, can argue particularly well. It's not a celebrity who can talk about you know, their story of salvation. They're both good things I've just talked about. But the most attractive thing right now in our Australian culture is a friend who lives an authentic Christian life. That is, by research, shown to be the most attractive thing right now to those who don't believe to actually start exploring Christianity. The other piece of research is this. One in four people will come to church if a friend they like invites them. Not just one in four random people you meet on the street. And you need to have four friends for this to work. But, <laughs> but if you've got four friends and they actually like you, you might need to check that they like you. If you invite them, at some point, they'll come with you because they like you. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to do that. Share your story online. You don't have a phone? Steal someone's. Just for a little while. Record a story. You don't have a social media account? That's fine. Send it to us. We'll put it on our Facebook account. That's fine. There's a way of doing this for everyone. I don't care if you don't have a phone. I don't care if you're on social media. I've got no idea about social media. Social media doesn't matter. What matters is you know how to tell your story in 30 seconds and it can point other people to Jesus who need saving. That's what matters. Have a look at the screen. This is my story of salvation. At Gateway Baptist Church, we believe that Jesus changes people's lives. And in 2019, we're going to be celebrating each other's stories of salvation. And this is my story. Jesus has saved me from living a very small and selfish life, driven by fear and insecurity. Following Jesus has not only made my life so much better, but he's made my life so much bigger. He has given me a greater purpose to live for, He's given me a deep love for people and a passion to bless others in need in this nation and right around the world. That's my story of salvation, and I'd love to hear yours. All right, simple story, 30 seconds, and I, I, I'm hoping that it will give me opportunities to, to have Jesus conversations with the people that I live, work, and laugh with. Now, many of you love having conversation about your eggs Benedict because I keep seeing it on, on Facebook and, and on Instagram, and that's great. Talk about your breakfast, all that you like, but at some point, please talk to the people you live, work, and laugh with about Jesus. And we've been in a society today that have been told this book is a fairy tale and this creation that God created for us, it's all just a random accident. God's got nothing to do with it. They might argue with you a whole bunch of things. It's hard to argue about your story. Your story is your story. 
And I'm praying that all of us will get the chance to point people to Jesus and his story of salvation. A whole bunch of things we're going to do this year to share the story of salvation. We're going to share video stories. We're going to run an alpha course every term. Tim's already talked about that. We're going to redevelop our discipleship pathway. We want every person to actually keep growing in their relationship with Jesus. We're going to do an evangelism stream in GMS in term two at night that everyone can come to so that we'll resource you to be able to share uh, the gospel. Just so you know, GMS this year, we've got 25 uh, students signed up, uh, getting prepared for what God's calling to do in ministry and mission. Really exciting about what God is going to do through GMS this year. Put your hands together. You know, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus' first followers committed to pray for salvation and to share the story of salvation, thousands of people got saved. And they were saved from their sin and they were welcomed they would have been a pretty ragged lot, but they were welcomed into communities of hope and healing. Because that's what the first followers of Jesus had seen Jesus do. Luke 9, it says that Jesus welcomed the crowds, he taught them about the kingdom, and he healed those who needed healing. That's the kind of community that we're called to be, to welcome every person into our life group who walks through those doors or makes their way through those doors with open arms, warts and all, to teach people about the kingdom of God and who God is and to heal those who need healing. I tell you, there are too many people drowning in loneliness in our communities today. And we've been given a very simple but a very powerful tool to see people saved simply by welcoming people into a community of salvation, to build welcoming, life-giving communities. And that's what we're planning to do this year. We'd love to see every person in a life group. We're going to keep working on that through group link and section communities so that you're part of a family that's doing life together with people. Our, our Gateway Care Ministries is going to open its doors at both our Redlands and our Logan campus this year. Really excited about what God is, uh, is going to do there. And our Care Works Ministry to Refugees is moving to our Logan campus. Our heart is to see our church look more like heaven. People from all nations coming and, and finding the hope and the healing of Jesus. Let me just talk about Logan just for a minute. I just want you to grab hold of this, you know, with a bit of joy a bit of faith uh, in your heart. You know, we had a church come to us last year with 15 people in it and said, we'd like to become part of, uh, of, of Gateway. We want to become a campus of Gateway. And uh, we prayed, felt like that's what God was calling us to do. And uh, that was six months ago, all right? That was six months ago we started. 15 people. Six months later, there was 191 people there last Sunday. But then, no, just hang on, hang on. This is a cool bit. 28 people in the last six months have made first-time commitments to follow Jesus at Gateway Logan. That's cool. That's why we've got to keep planting campuses, and we're going to. We're going to plant a city campus this year to reach people not currently being reached with the gospel, fastest growing residential area in Queensland. We are going to plant Gateway City in July this year. And uh, really looking forward to all that God is uh, going to do there. You're going to hear more about that in the next little while.
You know, salvation is personal. It's received one person at a time. But the salvation of Jesus that actually transforms families, it transforms communities, and over time it can transform a nation. You know, in 1952, my, my grandfather returned from World War II fighting uh, for his nation. And anyway, he returned in 1945, but in, in 1952, he'd kind of come back with no job. He'd never been to church. And he met my uh, grandmother in hospital, who was sick, coming home from uh, World War II with malaria. Met my grandmother, who was a nurse in uh, Darwin Hospital. And uh, they got married and they started a family in the western suburbs of Sydney. Just sort of got on with life, making money, raising a family, no real thought of God or church. But he had this pesky neighbour named Frank. Now, my grandfather's name is Frank, and uh, his neighbour's name was Frank. And there was an epidemic of Franks in the 1950s. I, I haven't seen a Frank for a while, but uh, back then there was hundreds of them. Anyway, uh, the other Frank... Just kept coming into my, they had no fences back then in this new housing estate, kept coming into my grandfather's backyard and kept inviting him to church and telling him what Jesus had done in his life. And my grandfather kept rejecting him. I don't, I, he never told me how many times, he just said several times he, he rejected him. Until one day, the other Frank bought a car and he came, and my grandfather in 1952 had never had a car. And, and he says, to my grandfather, Frank, if you come to church with me, I'll give you a ride in my car. And so my grandfather said, all right. And he twaddles off down to church in uh, July the 6th, 1952, for the first time, walks into a church. There's a man there named Ross Beadle who has uh, just shared the gospel. Uh, my grandfather said to his dying day, he talked about those two men till his dying day, but he said, it was like Ross was talking straight to me. It was the first time in my life I, was, I realized I was a sinner and I needed saving. And on July 6, 1952, this is my grandfather's baptism certificate, it sits on my desk, I look at it regularly. It says, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, believing this with all my heart and resting wholly upon the finished work of Jesus for salvation. I confess my faith in him at Epping Church of Christ on the Lord's Day, July the 6th, 1952, and was buried with Christ in baptism. And that, that community welcomed this drinking, smoking, swearing grandfather of mine who'd never been to church, into a community, and he became a member of that community for the next 50 years. Over those 50 years, that church he was a part of planted three other churches. My grandfather wasn't much of a preacher, but he was a builder, and he built those churches by hand. One of those churches was the church that I grew up in, and I heard the gospel, and I put my faith in Jesus for salvation. I got baptized. I met this little hottie down the front. We got married in that church. We heard the call of God to ministry in that church. It completely transformed our lives the cool bit when we get my grandfather died over 20 years ago my grandmother's 98 she's still alive when we get together in one room which isn't very often we're kind of spread around these days but when we get together in one room four generations every single person in that room knows the saving power of Jesus in their lives why because one dude named Frank 
reached out to my grandfather and kept inviting him to church until he came, kept sharing his story of salvation until he received it from himself, transformed his life, whole family, four generations, been redeemed. My, my question is, yeah, come on, give him a clap. God's good. I often look at that certificate on my desk and I think, what if, what if the other Frank gave up on my grandfather and stopped inviting him? What if that community, what if, what if Ross didn't preach the gospel that day and he, he, he said something that made no sense whatsoever? What, what, what if that community didn't welcome my grandfather with open arms? What, what if the kids and youth team didn't disciple my dad? What, what if my dad didn't raise me in a, in a church? What if that church never got planted? They decide we can't be bothered. We'll just be comfortable here where we are. We don't care. The rest of Australia needs saving. We'll just do our little thing. What if they said they couldn't be bothered? The good news is I'll never know the answers to those questions because there's a bunch of people and one dude named Frank who shared what God had put in their heart, shared what God had put in their hands. One man got saved. A whole family got redeemed. Communities around Australia are getting a little bit transformed through the ministry of our family. If we saw someone drowning, I know without a shadow of a doubt they'd become our top priority. We'd share whatever was in our hand to see them saved. And we'd do it urgently. We just would. If you're here this morning and you've got faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, then He's got put something in your heart that's powerful. You can pray. You can groan, you can cry out until you see people saved. And He's put something in your hand. He's given you a story to share that you can share with others. Hands that can reach out and welcome people into community. Tell them that they're valued of all ages, of all colours, of all backgrounds. They're valued by God in heaven. This year, are you going to share what God has put in your heart? And you're going to share what God has put in your hand to see people saved. Let's stand together. I, I just want to encourage us right now, just as Mark starts to get ready to sing. If you just say this year, I, I got someone in my mind. I'm going to share what God's put in my heart. I'm going to pray. I'm going to groan. I'm going to travail until they come to faith. I'm going to share what God has put in my hand. I'm going to share my story of what Jesus has done in my life. I, 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 want to, I want to see them receive what the saving power of Jesus that I've received. If you're here this morning, you want to share what God's put in your heart. You want to share what God has put in your hand to see people saved. Come down the front right now. I want to pray for you. Come on, come now. Share what God's put in your heart. Share what God's put in your hand so that we see people saved. Come on. That's you, come. Come. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to 
We're going to pray the Holy Spirit will take hold of what He's given you already. Fan into flame. Maybe your courage to give it away. Come on. If that's you, come. Maybe you've never come down the front here before. Today's your day to come. Come on. Push your way in. Share what God's put in your heart. Share what God's put in your hand. Come on. Move forward. Come on, guys. Make some room. Make some room. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.